Well, good morning and welcome to Catalyst. I'm really glad to see so many of you guys here. Thank you for joining us online if you're joining us online. Um, this is the day after, the week after Easter, and all pastors know that this week, it's like we, we suffer from this feeling of just, just anticlimactic, you know, because everything gets so up for Easter, and then all of a sudden, you know, everything goes great, and it's fantastic. We had a phenomenal Easter Sunday last Sunday. How many of y'all enjoyed Easter Sunday last Sunday? Yeah, absolutely. He is risen. And then Monday hits, and you realize, oh, man, Sunday's coming. And what, you know, it's like, what can I do? And, and so this week has just kind of been this crazy week. For all you pastors out there, I am with you. I am with you. And, and so, uh, um, but the, the Lord is powerful, amen? So we are in a series called Grace, as you see, uh, Grace, which is God's gift to a judgmental culture. And I explained last week how we, as, as Christianity um, is moved out of Western culture, um, as Jesus is kicked out of society, grace is going with him. Um, we are not becoming more tolerant. We are not becoming more loving. We're becoming increasingly judgmental, increasingly in, unable to let things go, increasingly believing evil about the people around us. That is our culture. People are waiting, just waiting to, for somebody to, to tweet the wrong thing or, or say the wrong thing and just nail them and, and, and cancel them and destroy them and get them fired and get them de-admitted from schools no matter what, at, at any cost it seems. That's the culture we're in, and we as a church <clears throat> have a different message. We have an alternative vision for that, and it's called grace. And so grace is God's greatest gift to this judgmental culture we find ourselves in. And so we're talking today um, about a, a part of grace that is, that, is, that is bigger than what a lot of us understand. See, great, the grace of God relates to us differently depending on where we are in our walk with him. Okay, and we're going to explain that today. Uh, the, the first act of God's grace is the Holy Spirit seeking you out. This, today is called God's seeking grace. All right, I was sitting in my senior year of high school English class uh, at Henry Clay High School, 1992, and we were doing a section on poetry, and I'm not much of a poet, and there's some good poems out there, but we uh, read, and this is in a public school classroom, okay? Uh, mind you, Francis Thompson's Hound of Heaven. And this poem, a very, very famous poem, uh, is about him running away from God, doing anything he possibly can, it seems, to get out of God's presence, to do things his own way. He runs, and, uh, and, and the, 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 the imagery um, of God relentlessly pursuing after him, called the Hound of Heaven. He uses imagery of a, like a, a wolf chasing down a rabbit, to, to pursue it. Um, like in, in his youth, he runs away from God, chasing his own ways and his own life, and God steadily runs after him, never letting him go pursuing him. He starts off the poem like this. This is how the poem starts off. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of my fears, I hid from him and under running laughter. Up Vista's hopes I sped and shot precipitated down titanic glooms of chasm fears from the strong feet that followed, followed after, but with unhurrying chase and unperturbed Pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat, and the voice beat more instant than the feet. And finally, at the end of the poem, God catches him 
And the author surrenders to the hound of heaven and he realizes that what he's been running from and where he's been going has, has, is just completely wrong and he collapses into God's hands. As I remember reading, it's called the hound of heaven relentlessly pursuing us even when we're running away from him. What an amazing image. I was listening to the testimony of a person uh, on, I think it's probably Caleb or maybe some other, uh, I just happened to be flipping through channels and, and heard this, and, and it was literally like hearing the hound of heaven. Uh, this person had grown up going to church and then, then graduated uh, from high school and left the faith, and he pursued gang life. Um, and he had friends killed. Uh, his brother was shot right beside him in a drug deal gone bad, and he died in his arms. Um, he experienced all kinds of pain. And then he said that in the darkest place, when he was selling drugs and fighting and, and all, doing all the stuff that, that they, he did in a gang, God was constantly after him. He could not go to sleep without God calling him, calling him back. It was like, God, leave me alone, is what the testimony said. And God wouldn't do it. And even told, you know, let him die. He tried to commit suicide. God, let me die. And God would not let him die. Um, and finally, he said that he had no choice but to surrender. He had no choice. God was so incessant, so insistent, never letting up, never backing down, never going away, pursuing him like the hound of heaven. And he finally gave his life to Christ. And, and his testimony was just about the relentlessness of God pursuing us, coming after us, searching us out. And imagine if I was to see a show of hands in here and online, that a lot of us would have a similar story of how God has relentlessly pursued, he, as, as, as far and as fast as we tried to run away from him to do things our own way, we turned around and God is right there behind us, chasing us, pursuing us, drawing us back. How many of us have experienced that in life? Absolutely. Well, that is known as God's seeking grace. The reason you feel that way, the reason you have that story is because God has been pursuing you. He has been seeking you out. All right, and see, there are three different stages of God's grace, and we're going to talk about them in the next three weeks, all right, the, depending on where you are in life. The first stage is what we're talking about today, seeking. Uh, to the theologians, it's known as prevenient grace. Everybody say prevenient. Prevenient, okay, that's a theological term that means seeking out, okay? This is God's grace to the lost, to the ones who don't know him, all right, is a different type of grace where he seeks you out and he calls you back to him. The second type of grace we're talking about next week is called God's cleansing grace. Once you surrender to him, then he washes your sins away. It's also known as justifying grace. And the third that we're going to talk about in two weeks is God's transforming grace. Once, once you become a Christian, then he begins to shape you and mold you. It's also known as sanctifying grace. That's God's gift to the disciple. We're talking today about the first stage of grace, God's seeking grace, where the Holy Spirit pursues you and calls you to repentance, calls you to change, to be a believer in Christ. Everybody turn to Luke 15, 1 through 7. Jesus tells a parable about this. He says this, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. How dare he? Okay, verse three, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep 
until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. All right, for uh, a little while, my kids would get me a wallet for Christmas. Um, they always got me a wallet, and uh, um, I don't have my wallet with me, but uh, if I did, I'd show it to you. And I remember getting it as a gift for Christmas, and yeah, it was, it was nice. It was great. That's what I mean, it's a good gift, practical. Didn't get real excited about it. But then one day I lost it. How many of you all know the sinking feeling of not knowing where your wallet is? Yes, okay. I, my wife tells me I would forget my head if it wasn't attached. I lose stuff all the time. I lose my wallet all the time. And, ha- and so I remember lost it and I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it anywhere. And I, and I, I panicked. I mean, I had credit cards, I had driver's license. All of a sudden I thought, man, I'm gonna have to go get a driver's license again. I'm gonna have to cancel the credit card. There's cash in there, all this kind of thing. And then I get a phone call from Kroger. And there was a lady who was a believer in Christ, found my wallet in the parking lot. And she said, we've got your wallet. I guess she looked us up in the phone book. Not too many Kibblers. Great, finally, something good having a last name like Kibbler. You know, finally, not being made fun of. But, uh, uh, but, and so I went and I found it. And when she handed me the wallet, I was overjoyed. Now, let me ask you, when, was I more overjoyed when I received as a gift or when I thought it was lost and it was found again? Okay, all right? See, that is how God feels about you, okay? When you are lost and he finds you, the Bible says here, that he joyfully puts the lamb up on his shoulders and he throws a party. He'd seen the lamb many times, but it wasn't until it was lost and it was found that there was rejoicing in the same way. That is how God feels about one person, one person who repents and comes back to him, rejoicing. What it says, that's how God feels towards the lost, okay? He tells a parable showing that God is that farmer seeking after his lost sheep. And and, and look what happens when he actually finds the sheep. Get this. Was there any, why did you run away? Was there any, where have you been? No, nothing, but I'm celebrating. He calls all his buddies. Let's have a party because my lost sheep was now found. It's safe. It's in my house now. No scolding, no criticizing. Just rejoicing. I remember finding out I was going to be a dad for the first time back in 1998. Pregnancy tests turned up positive, and uh, I was going to be a dad. Amazing. And I remember watching the little stomach grow. And I'll never forget the time when Rachel said, come here kicking, and I put my hand in the stomach, and I felt this little foot go, amazing, and I remember thinking in that moment, that was the kind of the first interaction I'd ever had with a child of mine, and I remember thinking in that moment, this child, this unborn child, has no idea who I am, no, no concept of me as father, 
doesn't, doesn't know I exist, doesn't even, isn't even where they can even think of me as father. And yet, if necessary, I would give my life for this child in a heartbeat without even thinking simply because she's mine. And in that moment, it hit me that that is how God feels about those of us who don't know him yet. Like a father with an unborn child feeling kicked for the first time, realizing this child has no knowledge at all of us as father or mother, yet we still love him. And that's how God feels about his, un, about his lost. Um, this is how God is with us. Someone says, nope, 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 nope. God didn't seek me out. I came to church. I listened to the sermon. I examined all of the possibilities. I examined the scriptures. I examined all this stuff. And I, through, I, after examining everything and the logic and everything, I made the profession of faith. Well, Good for you, but you're wrong. You would not have come to church. You would not have a concept of God. You would not even know where to go if God was not calling you first. Understand this. Every person in here, every person online, every person that has ever called Jesus Christ Lord and Savior ever is, can only do that because God sought you out first. He is after you. We can take no credit for our salvation. We can take no credit at all. Matter of fact, God says, if you want glory, you go to the other place because up here, all praise, honor, and laud belongs to Jesus Christ. We come to Christ because he seeks us out because he loves us first. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. Okay, in, the, in the book, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia book, Silver Chair, C.S. Lewis writes about this, okay? Jill and Eustace had been called out of their world. They, well, they, they were having a tough time, and they began asking Aslan to take them to Narnia. And pretty soon, they go to Narnia, and, and Aslan says this to Jill, your task will be much harder because of what you've done, the lion said. Please, what task, sir, said Jill, is asked for which I have called you out of your world. This puzzled Jill very much. It's mistaking me for someone else, she thought. She didn't dare tell the lion this, though he, she felt he, uh, things could get into a dreadful muddle unless she did. Speak your thought, human child, the lion said the lion. I was wondering, I mean, could there be some mistake? Because nobody called me in Scrub, you know. It was we who asked to come here. Scrub said that we were to call to, uh, to somebody. It was a name I wouldn't know, and perhaps somebody would let us in. And we did, and we found the door open. And then Aslan says this, you would not have called to me unless I had been calling to you, said the lion. You would not have called to me unless I was calling to you. Ooh, that's good stuff. You realize that none of you is here by accident or by purpose. You are here because God called you. He sought you out like a lost sheep and brought you back. That's how much God loves you. See, to the, this is the thing. This is the thing about God seeking grace, seeks us out. To the lost, the Holy Spirit is God's evangelist. 
Okay, this is what this is how this is how people get saved. Okay, the, the John sixteen eight through eleven, Jesus tells his disciple this: When he comes, tell him that the Holy Spirit, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Okay, so the, the, Jesus tells us three things that the Holy Spirit does in seeking grace. Three things. All right, the first one is this is that the first action is that he shows us our sin, all right? Now, something really bothers me about the way that American churches have done this. Back in the 90s and the early 2000s, the seeker-sensitive movement basically wanted to tell people there was no sin. They never, ever talked about sin because they thought that, that, that talking about sin would turn people away, and we just needed to talk about the goodness of God. And that created a church that had no concept of right and wrong, a church that was by, by, by standards completely and totally lukewarm because people were perfectly comfortable in their sins. Perfectly comfortable in their sins. And, and church made them comfortable in their sins. Well, that is not how the Holy Spirit wins people to Christ. The first thing he says about sin because people don't believe in me. He says, so the first action, the Holy Spirit approaches you and he shows you your sin. He shows you the ugliness in here. He shows you the places where you are falling short. He shows you the places that are, that, that are repulsive to God that he cannot be around. Um, I remember going one time when I was in Hendersonville. Um, I, I remember going to pray with um, one of my students' moms. He, he had asked, he said, my mom's not feeling well. Would you come over and pray with her? And I said, sure. This is a pretty rough kid. And, uh, and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll take any chance to go pray with your mom. You know, I'll pray with you and your mom. Well, apparently he didn't tell mom that I was coming over. And I opened up the door. He let me in. And there was a stack of pornographic magazines on the coffee table. And there was alcohol bottles everywhere. And there was all kinds of just, just basically stuff that, that uh, let me know they weren't expecting the pastor, shall we say. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I, I guess people think that when a pastor sees that, we melt like the Wicked Witch of the West or something. You know, you know we can't be around. Like, 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 come on, I grew up in locker rooms. Come on. Okay, this stuff isn't going to phase me. But the mom came out and said, who are you? And I said, um, I'm Dave. I'm his youth pastor, and he asked me to come pray with you. And she glares at her son, and she says, I can't believe all this stuff is out here when the pastor's here. And what that was, what that was, was stuff that she was perfectly okay with, and all of a sudden, when the pastor shows up, all of a sudden she realizes it and realizes this isn't good and this isn't right and this is bad. You know, stuff that she'd lived with her whole life. And all of a sudden, when all, I didn't say a word, all I did was show up and she was immediately, this stuff was wrong. See, that's what the Holy Spirit does when he approaches you. A lot of times he doesn't even have to say anything. He just shows up and you're like, oh my goodness, this stuff that I didn't even realize I was living with and I was comfortable with, this is wrong. All of a sudden, the words out of your mouth 
The first thing that happened when the Holy Spirit approached me and saved me was, the, was he convicted me of the words out of my mouth. I was a soccer player. I grew up as, as playing soccer. Man, the, the culture of my teams, we couldn't even say we loved our mothers without swearing, okay? And I'm not gonna say what, how we would say that. I'm not gonna do that here in this church. But seriously, we couldn't even say we're going to church without swearing. And all of a sudden, the first time it popped out of my mouth after the Holy Spirit was in my life, my goodness, wrong. It showed me how ugly it was. John Bunyan, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress, which was the most printed, most sold uh, English book in history other than the Bible, um, was a profane young hooligan. And one day he and his friends were on a street corner and they were talking, swearing loudly, and a prostitute came up to him. A prostitute looked at Bunyan and said, you are such a vile man that you could corrupt every soul in this city if given the chance. Clean it up. Now, when your language can offend a prostitute, that's pretty bad. When you're getting judged by prostitutes, that's pretty bad. And he he was so taken aback. His language was literally too awful for a prostitute to hear. And that conversation began his journey back to God. See, it was the conviction of sin that brought people to Christ. Not the mollycoddling of it, not the, not the passing over of it, not the justifying of it. It is the conviction of it that brings us to Christ. First thing that God does when he approaches us, he shows us our sin, how ugly it is. He shows us, here, listen, he shows us what we really look like in the eyes of heaven. And it's awful when that happens. It's heartbreaking. But the good thing is, is that that's not the only thing he does. See, that's the, if that was the only thing that he did, it, it, he did, he would be a judgmental you know, person saying, look how awful you are, look how terrible you are, and we'd be lost. But the second thing he does is he provides a better way. He points us to the righteousness of Jesus. The first thing, he shows us our sin. And then he points us to the righteousness of Jesus. Basically, when he gets us lost and, and, we have no, and, and we're convicted and we're, we have this godly sorrow, this heartbreak within us, then he says, but I love you too much to leave you there. I want you to follow Jesus. Look, over there. There he is, kind of like John the Baptist. Behold, the Lamb of God. That is what the Holy Spirit does. He points us to the example, to the righteousness of Jesus. He, he says, there's a better way to live, and his name is Jesus Christ. Look at how he did. I want you to look over there, over there. See, the Holy Spirit never calls attention to himself. Never does. He's always pointing to Jesus. Always to the righteousness of Jesus. See, guys, once he shows us our shortcomings, produces that godly sorrow, he points us to the example. He doesn't just... He doesn't just beat you up for your sin. That's not what he does. He says, there's a better way. Here's the example. Here it is. His name is Jesus. Study him. Love him. Embrace him. Surrender to him. That's how you should live. Right there. That's how God seeks us out. And he says, look, I've shown you what you look like in the eyes of God. I've shown you your sin, your rebellion, your thick-headed stupidity, your blasphemy. I've shown you this and your heart's broken over it. Now that you're here, here's the answer. I want to point you to the one who will forgive all that. I want to point you to the one who can change all that. Here's the one with the power 
to give you new life, and his name is Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit is constantly speaking to us every day, right? So the first thing, he shows us our sin. The second thing, he points to the righteousness of Jesus. The third thing is even better. It's the best thing he does. He shows us God's ultimate victory. It says that the, the, the prince of this world now stands condemned. That means Satan, all right? He says this. Someone says, well, why, I understand my sin. I understand Jesus. Well, why should I do this? Why, is this? why is it so important to be on God's team? And the Holy Spirit shouts, because we win. That's why. Listen, listen, tiny human. Listen, little, itty-bitty, loved human. This is how it ends. We win. Satan, no matter what it looks like right now, no matter what it looks like in the world, we know how the story ends, and Satan loses. God wins. I'm calling you over to the winning team here, people. And, and, and when you struggle, when you struggle, why should, I, why should I go against the culture? Why should I stay sexually pure? Why should I not curse? Why should I go to church? Why should I go do the Great Commission? Why should I, why should I, why should I? And the Holy Spirit says, because we win. That's why. And he's constantly pointing that to you as a comfort. Say, listen, doesn't matter what's going on outside, doesn't matter what media says, doesn't matter what the Hollywood says, doesn't matter what Facebook says, doesn't matter what YouTube says, doesn't matter what politicians say, we win. And that's the way the Holy Spirit comforts us. He shows us our sin, points to the righteousness of Jesus, and then he points us to the fact that we are on the winning team. That's how God seeks us out. How many of y'all want to play for a losing team? Anybody in here? Say, yep, sign me up. Uh, I, I really, really, really want to lose. I want to be on the team that loses. Uh, I, I want to be wrong. Yep, sign me up. Anybody? Anybody? That sound good? How many of y'all want to be on a winning team? How many of y'all, like, when, when the whole thing's over, you're on the winning side? How many of y'all want to do that, right? Okay, that is what the Holy Spirit is telling you today. That everything that you go through, everything, every commitment you make, every discipline thing, every time people laugh at you, whatever, I'm telling you, you're on the winning side. And that's how the Holy Spirit comforts us. All right, so that is what's going on. But some of you say, well, you know, I, I, th- th- that's great, you know, for, for w- my past. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not lost right now. Some people in here are, and praise God that you're here. This is where you need to be. If you, don't need, if you don't know Christ, you need to be here, and we're glad you're here. But a lot of you aren't. Well, how does God's seeking grace work for me? Well, this is, I'm glad you asked, because... We are to partner with the Holy Spirit in winning the lost. So many people in here feel like they can't ever lead someone to Christ. They'll never, ever win the lost to Christ. Well, it's because you're trying to do it by yourself. Why don't you partner with God's evangelist, the Holy Spirit? All right? It's an amazing thing. 2 Peter 3, 9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Everyone to come to repentance. That lost parent of yours, that lost child of yours, that lost cousin or friend or coworker or ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend, yes, God wants them to come to repentance. Okay? And if you don't think that the Holy Spirit has more invested in that person than you, you're wrong. So I I found this out. Um, uh, When I was in seminary, I had uh, had to do an institutional supervised ministry and chaplaincy. And as a a lover of history, I decided to do it in the VA hospital downtown Lexington. VA hospital, I had immediate war stories. I wanted to hear them. 
I'm like a young guy that wants to hear old people's stories. Yes. Uh, and, and so I, I was really looking forward to this. And I, so I showed up, and the first, the first thing we were supposed to do was when we got a new admittance, a new admittant person, we were to visit and do an assessment of them. And so I would walk in, I remember my first day, first visit. This is awful, y'all. But I walk in there, and I don't even get the words, hi, I'm David, I'm from the chaplain's office, when he throws a bedpan at me. And it was full. And he told me, um, in um, using soccer language, to please exit the premise, premises immediately, okay? And I was like, well, this didn't go as planned. This is not good. And so I went and did some more visits. I had to get a new coat and everything. I, 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 I went and did some more visits, and, and I got cussed at. I got, you know, sworn at, you know, everything like that. And I, I just remember after about a week sitting up in the chaplain's office and, man, I don't want to do any more visits. This is going terrible. What in the world did I sign up for? What the heck is going on here? And I remembered God's seeking grace. And so I just began praying, Lord, I pray that you will go in front of me into these hospital rooms. I pray that you would prepare these men for my visit. And Lord, I just need you to be powerful. And so I got my clipboard and I walked down. I walk into the room, very first one after praying that prayer, and the guy is literally sitting up in bed looking, looking. And, and I say, hi, I'm Dave from the chaplain's office. He goes, praise God, I have needed a preacher. And I sit down and I'm like, what is this guy? I mean, I've never seen this before. The guy was in for the disease of beriberi. It's a, it's a, uh, a vitamin deficiency that, that Korean War veterans got from being, uh, from being a PO, he was a POW. And the vitamin deficiency gave him beriberi. And he, he, he dealt with that his entire life. And he, he, this, he, was, uh, very, he, he was older and he was very worried. And, uh, and after multiple visits, I found out that he believed God was punishing him with beriberi because while he was over in Korea, he had cheated on his wife. <clears throat> and he had lived with this since the Korean War. And I was able to explain to him the amazing grace of God and I was able to share Christ with him and I was able to lead him to Christ right there in the VA hospital. And we, I, I was actually able to baptize him in a, in a pool, in a, in a, in a tub, there at the VA hospital. If you don't think that the Holy Spirit wants to partner with you and go in front of you and plow the field, you're wrong. Maybe one of the reasons we're having such a terrible time of winning the loss is because we're trying to do it ourselves. Why don't we let God be God? Why don't we let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit? He has more invested in the people we are sharing our faith with than we do. As much as you love them, Believe me, he loves them more. And so maybe we need to start partnering with the Holy Spirit. Say, God, send your seeking grace to this person. And I mean like artillery, like bombard them every day. Lord, relentlessly, be the hound of heaven to this person. Go after them. And then when the Holy Spirit leads you, go and back clean up. I read a story. I'm gonna invite the band to come on back up. I read a story 
in the Christian Post this week called Don't Stop Praying for Your Beloved Unbelievers. And the story was, a, it was, it was written by a 60-year-old somebody whose parents were unbelievers and who had criticized her conversion to Christianity when she was a teenager. For 50 years, she prayed for her mom and dad with no progress at all. Finally, as she wrote in this, in this post, my dad called me up at age 80-something and said, I've decided to surrender to Christ. I'm getting baptized. I'd like for you to come to church and, and be there with me. And two weeks later, she got another message from her mom, and the mom said this, I've decided to become a Christian. The peace that I see on your father's face every morning, that's what I want, and that's what I need. And she had been praying for 50 years. And what, what she was saying was, don't stop. You'll never know what God is doing. Remember, the hound of heaven is relentlessly pursuing us. They may be running, they may be denying, but God is pursuing them. Never forget that. And if you are not a Christian this morning, God is pursuing you. You know why you're here today? You're not here because you decided to come to church. No, no, no. You're here because the Holy Spirit called you here. You are here by design. You are here because God loves you enough to wake you up and get you here to hear the message and to experience Christian worship. That's why you're here. He doesn't waste his time. That's why you're here. You already responded this far. Why not respond with a commitment to Christ? Why not? What's stopping you? He loves you that much. I'm gonna pray for you. And if this is the first time that you have realized that God is pursuing you and loves you, and is not gonna ever let up. He will never let up. If this is the first time you've ever understood that, I wanna ask you to make a commitment to Christ this morning. What are you waiting for? Best decision you'll ever make. Pray, Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us enough. Thank you that you would see us as worth going after. I think there are people in here and online that are struggling with that concept that they can't even imagine being valuable enough that you would, that you would go after them. But you, Lord, you are. You're going after them. And they are valuable enough. I pray, Father, that there will be celebrations in heaven today because of a lost person in here or online that decided to repent and give their life to Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your seeking grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.